Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzezemski. Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff sitting in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. Sitting here with Tom Dorian, my uh, cohort in crime. Yes, sir. Sidekick. Present. I'm so, you got your sidekick badge on. You too. like that? This is a gift it's to you. It's a special day. I, it's so beautiful. i got to wear it for all the special guests. It is a special day. You know, you can tell it's special because our we got a great guest because our the head chef puts, like, real butter in all the cookies and stuff oh, instead of the margarine. And so it's, it's killer. Yeah, exactly right. It's awesome. And so we have Father Robert Barron here with us. Welcome. Father, let me read your official title because we'll make sure everybody out there knows who you are. Great. The rector, president of Mundelein Seminary, University of St. Mary the Lake, and founder of Word on Fire Catholic Ministries. And we all know who you are. Right, and we're so happy to, and blessed to have you here in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. Thank you. Delightful to be back. I was with you a while ago. That's right. And uh, I enjoyed that uh, cafe. So this one's even a little more elegant. So good oh, yeah, to be with a, you. Anywhere you are is awesome, I think. You know, we're all together <laughs> in the media. Yeah. The, the stars are aligning or whatever yeah. all that stuff's all about. But, you know, I thought it'd be great. Last time I, we talked a lot about Word on Fire and where yeah. it came from and, and the inspiration behind it. And... You know, and we also talked about your Catholicism series. I mean, a landmark thing. I think that's going to be one of those things, like, if they ever name you great at some point in time, right? <laughs> Wouldn't hold your breath. Well, okay, but, you know, if this would be one of those things that they talk about, you know. And I know you, you would, you would um, in your humility, you would tell us that this was like a gift of God, and it was just something that really just, it, I just met so many people get fired up by that. That particular series. Yeah, I'm proud of it. It's a, it's a great thing, and it's produced by this wonderful team. Yeah. We're working on a new one. I mean, we talk about that later, but we're in the midst of a new round-the-world 10-part series. But I'm you know thrilled with the Catholicism series, thrilled the effect it's had around the church, so mm-hmm. thank God for it. Well, and that's awesome. And, you know, I wonder, you know, it's always like uh, when, you, when you follow behind, you do a lot of speaking, and you get behind somebody who just, like, lit the place on fire, and you're, like, going, yeah. what am I going to do? How am I going to follow this? <laughs> right. I don't know how you follow the Catholicism series, but you've actually done a great job of, uh, of doing this. Now, in our parish, we're using Priest, Prophet, and King. Uh, which we've just seen recently released. And it's, yeah. it's an awesome, awesome uh, series that you have. It's very different than Catholicism in the sense that uh, it's not the around-the-world, flashy, no. showy, but it's very beautifully done. It is. It's a series of talks. So it's not like the around-the-world showing all the visuals. But it was filmed at uh, Mundelein Seminary, where I'm rector, in our beautiful uh, main chapel, which is right. a great place. I gave six talks on this topic of Priest, Prophet, King. It was filmed by a group called Spirit Juice. They're a, a Catholic production mm-hmm. company in Chicago. And they're all they're all hipsters. They're all like in their 20s, <laughs> and they wear the hipster glasses. And uh, they're a great team. They do a wonderful job, and they film the campus and the place very beautifully. Right. Then my Word on Fire team brought a lot of the imagery and art to it. So as I'm talking, you see uh, references to the great Catholic artistic tradition. And I think it's beautiful to look at, and I hope it's informative for people, too. It's really it's about Jesus, you know. We understand him as priest, prophet, king. What I did, though, is go back to the Old Testament and look at Old Testament priests, prophets, and kings and what they tell us about Jesus because he brings all that to its full expression. And, and you know, mm-hmm. it, it, what's so neat about it, I think, is it's the natural follow-up to Catholicism. You know, Catholicism has brought so many people to the doorsteps of the church, maybe mm-hmm. who had fallen away or yeah. who had forgotten or maybe who didn't even know and just see that beauty, the universal beauty, right? And so right. once we get them to the door and we want them to have this relationship with Jesus, yeah. well, maybe it's a good thing we know who Jesus is, yeah. where and he comes from. You're exactly right. My wager was to begin with the beautiful because you begin with the true and the good in our culture, but it it's often doesn't get off the ground because people say, well, it's true for you, not for me. That's right. good <laughs> for you, but don't tell me. Don't lay your mm-hmm. value trips on me. But you begin with the beautiful. It's like, well, it's not that threatening. 
it's more winsome, and you kind of uh, draw people into the project through the beautiful. But yeah. then once they're in, as you say, they're in the door. Now let me tell you about this Jesus. And uh, everything else flows from that. So you're right. That's part of our strategy. And it's wonderful. And I'll tell you, we're here in the, in the, in the South, in the deep South. And, and we, you know, Catholics, we're you know, few but proud. You know, we, we love to be Catholic yeah. here in the South. And it's interesting here, you know, when you talk about a relationship with Jesus, with our, our separated brothers and sisters, how beautiful they have a relationship with Christ and how wonderful that is. And yet they've got an experience maybe... Maybe it's not as fully dimensional, maybe, as the mm-hmm. Catholic experience. When you go into, if you look at priest, prophet, yeah. king, understand all this, they'll have a, a relationship with their with their friend Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know Jesus is your personal Lord and Savior, and this is, these are good things. Right. And yet, now there's so much more depth to Jesus that really just brings him alive in us, doesn't it? Why not the best of both worlds? I'd say, yes, as Pope Francis has said, it's that personal relationship, a friendship with Jesus Christ. That's the heart of the matter. We're not a philosophy, primarily. We're not a set of ideas or a program. We're a relationship with Jesus. But the Catholic difference is, now, let that be uh, elaborated through this very rich artistic, cultural, philosophical, intellectual tradition so we can show you the fullness of who this friend is Mm -hmm. so you can fall more deeply in love with him. That's the wager, I think. And I would just say, as Catholics, we have, and we should revive. I think our Protestant friends have helped us to see the centrality of a personal relationship. Great. Thank you for that. But now we can bring the wealth of our tradition to bear. Mm-hmm. And isn't it beautiful that you can have this personal relationship? And then knowing more about the priest, prophet, and king, right, of Christ, that those aspects uh, of his very being really just brings alive all the rest of the Catholicism that we bring to bear, the, the sacraments and our yes. experience of liturgy and worship. Yeah. The, the Catholic thing is Jesus fully elaborated. So I would say everything from Mozart's masses to the Sistine Chapel ceiling to the Mother Teresa sisters to, you know, the music we heard today at Matt, all of it is about him, mm-hmm. is trying to tell us who he is. Um, so cut to the heart of the matter, but then use all that we've got to uh, elaborate it. That's the Catholic genius. And do you think that maybe the world may... Uh have difficulty with getting to know who Jesus is? In other words, do people really want to go that deep? Is that a challenge, too, do you think, when you put something like this together? Yeah, I think so. And and the first problem, of course, is whenever you present Jesus and you say, he's the Lord, that's very challenging in our culture because, no, I'm the Lord of my life. You know, it's about me. Mm -hmm. I'm autonomous. And if Jesus is interesting and helpful, I'll take him in. But, see, he won't be taken in those terms. He's the Lord. Jesus Curios, Paul says, right? Dominus Jesus, Jesus the Lord. He wants to dominate us. And I, I want to use that word in a very pointed way. Right. He wants to be the Lord of every aspect of our lives. That's a little bit threatening. So I think you do draw people in with the beauty of the Lord, but then in time he'll start making a demand on you. Think of you know Peter with the miraculous draft of fishes, this wonderful, beautiful explosion of grace, but then right away... Lord, leave me. I'm a sinful yeah, man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? But then Jesus says, no, no, I know you're a sinner, but I forgive you, and now I send you on mission. So doubly challenging. You're a sinner. You're a forgiven sinner, and now i got a mission for you. So Jesus is um, is a piece of work. You know, yeah. I mean, if you let him into your life, or the language I often use is you let him into the boat. You know, I'm just going to get into the boat, and I start making the commands around here. Now, that's life to the full. Once you surrender to him, you find life to the full. But we have a resistance built in, especially in our culture, which is so strong on autonomy, right? Oh, yeah. You determine your life. Don't tell me what to do. I'm the Lord of my life. 
that's inimical to Christianity. Mm-hmm. What we have to show, though, is that the surrender to Jesus is, in fact, liberating. In fact, makes you fully alive. Mm-hmm. It makes your life rich and wonderful in ways that your little tiny ego drama never will. You right. know? Hey, I'm the Lord of my life. Well, ho-hum. How dull can you get? <laughs> I'm the Lord of my life? You know, what do I know? It about sounds anything? good at first, but it doesn't ever yes. pay off. And that's exactly <laughs> why, though. See, what, what do I know about what's really good, true, beautiful, right? What do I know? I, I, I never get out of my own little narrow space of my plans, my programs, ho-hum. But aren't mm-hmm. we raised in that culture? Aren't we told yeah. that you know yeah. either just do it or have it your way or all, yes. all the ad slogans and, and just America based on its, uh, you know, I'm not anti-capitalistic, but the understand sometimes it kind of draws us to, you know, what are, what are our own little personal goals and getting ahead of, you know, a person of value would be someone who made a lot of money or is a boss. Yeah, or, that's right. Oh, yeah, we're, we're a pro-choice society, and I mean that much more broadly than just the, the abortion issue. We're a pro-choice society. It's my choice. And give me the full range of choices. Mm-hmm. You know, young people struggle, I find, uh, with that a lot because from the time they're little kids, they choice, choice, choice. I have a whole range of choices. Now they're 25, 30. Well, what am I going to do with my life? Mm-hmm. I like having a whole range of choices open to me. Well, no, pal. At some point, you got to decide. You know? you know, someone was telling me like how bad it was to be closed-minded. And we've all been raised to think that we should always be open-minded. Yeah. And I've always, re- I realized at some point in time later in life that at some point in time, I got to close the. Cannon. That's right. <laughs> I got to. That's I right. got to close my mind and make a decision versus always be wandering. Yeah, and that's the trouble in our culture today. You know, autonomy is great within its proper context, all that. But when you put it in the spiritual context, it's poisonous. Mm-hmm. My life is not about me. It's about Christ and Christ's purposes for me. To get that is to get what we mean by conversion. You know, when the Lord says metanoiate, mm-hmm. go beyond the noose, the mind that you have. Get a new mind in you. Paul says, it's no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives in me. Now now we're talking. Yeah. It's not just me, little Saul of Tarsus. Who cares? It's Christ living in me. That's now making me most fully myself. Yeah, and you're transformed in the process, yes. right? You're, con- you, you're yeah. conforming to his will. And so instead of just like carrying Jesus with you, right, and taking him along as a buddy, yeah. he's actually changing you. Yeah, he's yeah. come to live in you. Uh, like to Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. He didn't ask <laughs> permission. I'm coming to your house today. And with that, Zacchaeus is completely uh, overhauled mm-hmm. in, the, in a good way. But see, that's a challenge because if I were to say, no, you need to follow me in every regard. I'm the Lord of your life. Well, of course you'd resist and you'd be right. But see, God is not like a competitive other who's trying to, you know, outmaneuver us and dominate us in the negative sense. He's the one that brings us fully to life. The idea of the burning bush. Uh, When the true God comes close, he makes the world more luminous and more radiant and doesn't consume it. That's the beauty of that image. The bush is not consumed. And so God is going to just burn it up. You know, I'm going to take it over. No, he makes it more luminous, more beautiful, even as he doesn't consume it. That's the biblical difference. I guess we reach our, our, our highest possibility at that point, though, yeah. who we were meant to be and called to be. Right. Always. Precisely right. Yeah. yeah. I don't know who I am, really. Balsar says that. that I don't know who I am till I find my mission. And that's true in the Bible. Every major player, when they get an experience of God, are sent on mission. And then they're often given a new name. Because you don't know who you are till you know your mission. Uh, Mary proceeds in haste into the hill country. Once she knows her mission, boom, she does it. We see a lot of the trouble today with our postmodern, you know, hey, just decide what you want to do, is we all get kind of lazy because we don't have the energy <laughs> to do our mission. 
And so we you know, lie around, okay, I'm in charge of my life, and you're in charge of your life, and you tolerate me, and I'll tolerate you. <laughs> but ho-hum, we're not going anywhere. We're just floating on this lake. The mm-hmm. idea is you have a river with banks and definition, mm-hmm. and then the water goes somewhere. That's Mary proceeding in haste. That's all the saints that know what they need to do. Beautiful. Beautiful. We are going somewhere, Father. We're going to a break right okay. now. We're going to take a break. We'll come back with Father Barron in just one sec. Before we do that, we want to remind folks we have a great website, www.thecatholiccafe.com. Also, Father's great website is wordonfire.org. Great place to go. See all kinds of stuff there. Uh, send me an email if you'd like to ask any questions, whatever, Deacon Jeff at thecatholiccafe.com. And with that, we'll be right back. I'm Bess Drzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. Imagine that you are the leader of a small theater troupe in early Rome. And imagine that the emperor was coming to your theater to see your play. Well, that's exactly what tradition tells us about Genesius, an actor who lived and worked in Rome in the late 3rd century. Genesius wanted more than anything to impress his emperor, the famous Diocletian, who was well known for his intense hatred and relentless persecution of the early Christians. Genesius decided to produce and act in a play that mocked the followers of Christ, for he knew that this would find great favor with his emperor, and perhaps help him to advance himself in the Roman art society. But, as is sometimes the case, all did not go as planned. His big performance before the emperor was to be his last. In the play, which was meant as a parody of the Christian faith, Genesius portrayed a catechumen no longer seeking baptism. But, as the play progressed toward the final climatic scene, one legend tells us that Genesius suddenly had a vision of heaven and of angels. Struck with fear and perhaps a realization of the sinful path he had chosen for his life, He fell to the stage floor as if he were sick. Two actors portraying a priest and an exorcist came to him to offer assistance, unsure if he was truly ill or just improvising a new scene. They asked him what he desired, and he told them, I want to be baptized. They now knew he was no longer acting, and the play would not end as written. They tried to get him off the stage, but he refused. Overcome by the Holy Spirit, he again demanded to be baptized. Needless to say, Emperor Diocletian was not enjoying himself. He soon became infuriated. He immediately had Genesius arrested and hauled before the prefect of the Praetorium. The prefect tortured Genesius in an attempt to get him to recant his Christian profession of faith. Genesius refused to recant. He was now and would be forever a follower of Jesus. Emperor Diocletian had Genesius beheaded. Although he did not receive a baptism of water as he had requested, he did receive a baptism of the blood that he shed in union with his Savior, Jesus Christ. He lived as an actor, but he died a Christian martyr. St. Genesius is the patron saint of actors, comedians, clowns, musicians, dancers, and lawyers. His feast day is celebrated August 25th. I'm Bess Trzymski, and this has been another great moment in church history.
Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And we're back in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, sitting here with Tom Dorian and Father Robert Barron. Father Barron, we're talking about priest, prophet, king. Now, this is a really, um, I don't know, you can sit there and say, well, it's informative and it's helpful and whatever, but I think it's inspirational. I hope so. Let me just first say, I'm getting hungry hearing all these plates in the background (laughs) and the Catholic Cafe. I remember when I was with you last time, we had French fries. Yeah. That's exactly right. It just came back to my mind. You tried to steal them from my son. I don't know if you remember that or not. (laughs) But that's actually. It's making me hungry hearing those plates. Um, I hope it's inspirational. Uh, These Torah talks that are based on retreats I've given over the years. And um, I do hope they're, they're informational. So I draw on the Old Testament especially a lot. I draw on theology. But the purpose is to bring people into a more intimate relationship with the Lord. So uh, I hope they have that combination of both informative and, and inspirational. I thought we would take a second so people who are interested, they can go to wordonfire.org and they can mm-hmm. see um, all, all that it's about. But I thought maybe just hearing from you, maybe what some of these sections are about, kind of go through them. I loved yeah. Adoratio, the very, very first, uh, call it a lesson or yeah. a, a talk that you give. Well, that's the whole idea of um, right praise. Adoratio, adoration, is from the Latin word that means mouth-to-mouth, adora. And so the person in the stance of adoration is mouth-to-mouth with God. That means lined up to God. That's why sin in the Bible is always a form of bad praise. I yeah. think it's absolutely the right way to read it. When Israel goes bad, it's always a question of running after false gods, right? You're, you're mouth-to-mouth with the wrong uh, god. Mm-hmm. Adam, before the fall, I'm arguing here, is the first priest because he's in right rapport with God, right relationship. And so the whole purpose of Israel is to draw the world back into right praise. So God forms a priestly people we hear over and over again. Yeah. He teaches Israel how to praise him aright. Not to, God doesn't need it. God needs nothing. God doesn't need our praise. But we need to praise God. Yeah, I was going to say we need to do that. And that's, right. that's really, it's for our benefit. Right. See, because God needs nothing. You have no need of our praise, yet our desire to thank you is itself your gift, we say in the Mass, right? Yeah. And that's true. Of, uh, God doesn't need the world at all. And it really tunes us into him yes. in that way, especially in the liturgy. Right. And that's why the liturgy is the source and summit of the Christian life. Yeah. Why I, I quote uh, Thomas Merton there when he first went to Gethsemane, not too far from where we are now, and he was there for a, a Holy Week retreat. And he said, I found the still point around which the whole country revolves without knowing it. And it's a a great idea that what he found was liturgy. He found the liturgy of the church. Mm. And around that right praise, the whole nation gets rightly ordered. So that's how I'm reading Adam as the first priest. And then all these priests throughout the uh, Old Testament are trying to bring Israel back online. Who's Christ but the high priest? Right, that's the second lesson or the second talk. Right, because he's the high priest now who gathers together all the priestly strands of the Old Testament and who offers the Father perfect praise. What's the cross? But bearing the sin of the world, he nevertheless gives the Father right praise, which brings the whole sinful world back online, hmm. which is why Paul calls him the new Adam. Right? Mm. Yeah, right. So Paul everything. knew that whole uh, tradition of Adam as priest, and here's Christ now on the cross as high priest. So that's the idea. And then the whole liturgical life of the church is a participation. All of us are now aligning ourselves to God through Jesus Christ, the high priest. So it's the whole Christian life. Now, if you are not leading the right Christian life, right, challenging false worship, that's the third section in this thing. Yeah, because as I say, in the Bible, that's always the problem, is Israel's going after the false gods. 
um, and it's kind of still going on. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> it's it's Elijah and the priests of Baal. That great story, you know, where uh, all of Israel has followed Jezebel and her gods. There are 450 uh, priests of Baal. There's one priest of Yahweh, and they do battle up there on Mount Carmel. You know, yeah, the famous it's scene. It's a great story. It's a wonderful story. But see, what you just to your point. The avatars of the false gods are always thick on the ground. So they're 450. Of course, they're all over the place today. Wealth, pleasure, honor, power, all of their avatars are everywhere. Every song, every TV show, movies, etc. They're everywhere. And there's usually only a handful of the avatars of the true God. There's the church's job, is to, be, to do what Elijah did, publicly to challenge the priests of Baal. And that's still the role of the church today. Which is why we can't be intimidated into privacy, which is what our society today wants to do. Oh, yeah. It's, a, it's a great that you're religious. Just kind of keep it to yourself. That's right. <laughs> and see, but that's exactly what the priests of Baal want. They want us to be silenced and privatized. So we'll yeah. tolerate you, but you just whisper among yourself. Mm-hmm. Well, we just had mass with like this full orchestra and full chorus and choir, whatever. It was anything but private. Yeah. <laughs> that was right. very bold. And we're going to march through the streets later tonight with mm. the Blessed Sacrament. And that's... It's a nonviolent act, of course, but there's something a little bit edgy in a good way about it. Is we're we're coming out, we're coming right. in, into the streets, and we're not ashamed as Catholics to do that, right? And you look at that; it's a very interesting thing because it's what David did when David uh, consolidates Israel and he establishes the capital in Jerusalem. What does he do? He takes the Ark of the Covenant and he brings it in, dancing before mm-hmm. it, right. and establishes the Ark at the center of his city. Well, what's in the Ark of the Covenant? But the Ten Commandments, but also remnants of the manna. It's a very right. interesting right. thing. So. What's our Ark of the Covenant but the tabernacle, where we have the true manna, the bread of eternal life? Tonight, in the streets of Memphis, we're going to be, as it were, dancing before yeah. the Ark of the Covenant, and we're bringing it right into the city. Do you think we might see a pillar of fire or something? <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> How uh, beautiful that would be. Yeah, but we're doing what David did, and we're David established thereby a liturgical kingdom, you put it that way. In the account in, in 2 Samuel, David is wearing what's called an ephod which is the garment of a priest. It's very interesting. He's a king, but he puts on a priest's right. garment, and then he dances in the priest's garment before the Ark of the Covenant. That'll be us tonight. Beautiful. That is beautiful. Now, this uh, fourth lesson you got in uh, Priest, Prophet, King is uh, the Word made flesh. Yeah. Well, there's the heart of the matter, right? That God's Word now comes into our flesh in such a way that he reconfigures it and reshapes it according to its yeah. right purpose. And so Priest, Prophet, King, really all of them uh, come into play there. But it's the, it's the reordering of our flesh, as it were, from within. God enters into it and then reshapes it so that in Christ now we find the right direction. We're his mystical body. We are joined to the Word made flesh. In fact, know? the whole ordering, reordering the whole kingdom, that's the, and that's yeah. the, the, the fifth lesson in this thing, uh, and seeing that ultimately just transforming the world. He's priest, he's prophet, so he's the one that orders things aright, priest. He's prophet, he teaches the truth. He's also king, which is yeah. it's very edgy. And, and the Gospels are full of irony about it, aren't they? Uh, here's a king, but he's he's not on a throne. He's on a cross. Mm-hmm. Or he's, he's riding on an ass. Or, yeah. Right, yeah. And he's wearing a crown, but, but it's not a golden crown. It's a crown of thorns. Mm-hmm. He has the sign over his head, you know, Jesus Nazarenus Rex Judeorum, but it's meant as a joke. But see, all of that, is, it's the beautiful irony of the Gospels that it turns the world on its head. There is the true king. He is the true king of the Jews, which means the king of the world. And the fact that Pilate put it in the three languages, in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek, makes Pilate the first great evangelist. He's right. announcing to the whole world, here's your new king. 
it's delicious irony. It's meant to be a little bit funny, edgy, in your face. That Okay, Pontius Pilate, you think you're putting him to death. In fact, you're announcing him to yeah. all the nations. And then Paul can say, I preach one thing. Christ and him crucified, because Paul knew that's where the kingship right. of Jesus is revealed. If you're a first century uh, uh, Jew or Greek and you saw all these people with that symbol in the middle, they think we lost our minds. Oh, yeah. That you're putting up a crucified criminal in the middle of your assembly? Are you, are yeah. you out of your mind? Right. But see, that's the irony of it. See, if we get domesticated, if we forget our own radicality, we lose our edge. No, you're exactly right. And, you know, finishing off with King of Kings, and we recognize... This, the fact that there are no other kings. Yeah. You know, there is, Baal can take a seat at this point. Yeah, right? and that's our message. That's our message because uh, the worship of the false gods following false kings is going to lead to deep unhappiness. Now we see it everywhere. Yeah. The church's job is like Elijah's, to stand up publicly and say, look, look what these people are doing to you. I've got the real king. I've got the real answer. Yeah. Padre Pro, you know, who was killed during the Cristero thing in Mexico, and his, as he's being shot, he shouts... Vive el Cristo Rey, right? Long live Christ the King. Right. So here he's facing, talk about the priests of Baal, talk about the, the avatars of false uh, worship, and he shouts to them, long live Christ the King. Mm-hmm. That's a Christian witness. This is a fantastic study program. It's an opportunity for parishes, for anyone interested in finding out just more about who Jesus is so they can yeah. really truly understand how important worship is, where it plays yeah. a part. And I, what I love most about it, I think, is that we talk about Jesus being priest, prophet, and king, but we have a responsibility as the laity and, and everyone in our, our lives, in the world, actually have to participate in his priesthood. Yes, and, his and that's so strong in Vatican too. Every baptized person is anointed, you're chrismated, and that, that's what these figures are. Priests, prophets, kings were anointed figures. So Jesus is called the Mashiach, right? The anointed one. That's in, in Greek becomes Christos. It just means Jesus the anointed one. Jesus the priest, prophet, king. Now, every baptized person is grafted onto him. We yeah. all become priests, prophets, and kings. And to unpack that is to get the whole Christian life. That's beautiful. Father Baron, thanks so much for being here. You're but welcome. before we go, what you got on the horizon? What are you getting ready to do? Get travel the world again, I hear. Yeah, we already did some traveling this past summer. I filmed uh, on Thomas Aquinas and Catherine of Siena. So my next series, it'll be like the Catholicism series. We have same team, same uh, director, same cinematographer, uh, same writer, namely me. <laughs> it's called The Pivotal Players. I'm looking at ten of the most important figures in Catholicism that shaped the Catholic thing. Sounds so, exciting. Yeah, we began with Aquinas and Catherine of Siena. We filmed in Rome, Siena, Florence, uh, Naples, uh, Avignon, you know, where Catherine challenged the Pope of the time. Do you need any assistance along the way? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, come with us. I'm going to, you know, carry my bag or yeah, something. Yeah, sure. We'll bring the French fries. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Those. I'm, I'm hungry for French fries right now. You know what? I'll tell you what. <laughs> if you would just pray us out of here, we'll have some French fries. Excellent. Should I give everyone a blessing? Please, Please. do. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for all your gifts. We thank you for the gift of this program. May it carry your word far and wide. Father, continue to bless us in every way that we might become your missionaries in the world. And I ask your blessing, that of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, to come down upon all listening and remain forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff... Send an email to Deacon Jeff at thecatholiccafe.com. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stive, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. 
Join us again at the Catholic Cafe. There's always room for one more at our table. 